the Godfather. How long get, have you waited to, get, to play a James <laughs> to Brown get us song? In. That's not the only reason we're changing up the subject this week. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. Hopefully, where you go to get uh, reviews of all the new movies. Uh, but uh, we have a special little fun uh, time with the horror genre, as we do right here every week. Uh, on the Fright Club podcast, so welcome again. And speaking of new movies, I trust everybody has either seen or is planning to see The Witch very soon, because it's a goodie. Yes, go, go. And um, yeah, <laughs> and it's by the so way, great. You, your Hope wrote a great review for the movie, and please check it out again at madwolf.com. So a little shameless plug. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's a great movie, and you must see it. Everyone must see it. And to be fair, we had fully intended to do a podcast today on which movies, the yeah. best which movies, but... I saw something, I think I saw something online that reminded me, this is Black History Month, and we have not done anything in terms of, you know, black horror characters, black horror movies, right? and we thought, well, we can't, if we wait one more week, we're going to lose it. Yeah. So uh, I think we kind of talked, we talked to people we at, pulled. at Fright we pulled Club Live. We pulled some people, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Charlie and Megan. The, the Howards. Tammy, the yeah, Tom Howards. And Tammy. Uh, we kind of said, "What should, should we put off the witches for one more week? And everybody said, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially because I think it was Tom that brought up, uh, it's nice to have a little change of pace where we're not just talking about movies, movies right. but characters. Right. We've done that with favorite Satans. Yeah, Satan and, on screen yeah, and, and, um, and some others. Villains. So, yeah. So uh, this week we're going to talk about not the movies so much as the best African-American characters, right? In, uh, yeah, well, in they're the horror not all genre. American, so... Oh, that's right. Okay, so what is Black History Month? So, yeah, so the, the, the favor, our favorite black characters... In, in horror in movies. Horror. So that's where we're going. But, yeah, thanks again to the great crowd that we had uh, last week for our Bloodshed at the Prom uh, Fright Club, which was the, uh, the live podcast. And let me uh, apologize if I, fe- if I seemed a little under the weather, because it turns out I was. I wasn't feeling very well during last week's live podcast. I went he home. has pneumonia. Pneumonia. I finally, finally went to the doctor like two days ago, yeah. and I said, you know what, Doc Bones? I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm just not feeling myself. And uh, he said, well, that's because you have pneumonia. So, um, And then somebody who lives in our house has been... <laughs> kicking me in the pants all week for saying you should have gone to the doctor when i said that's right so anyway the point here is to listen to me to always listen to me and the drugs are good okay (laughs) when they're prescribed medically because uh feeling very very uh, better now so Anyway, yeah, thanks for the crowd. Had a, had a great uh, great time there, at least while I was there. And I, I want to say, hey, good. actually, I want to say hey to Nathan. I met him at the uh, Columbus Horror Society. They had a, a meetup for uh, Nina Forever this week, and oh, I yeah. met a listener, Nathan, I had not met before, so All I wanted right. to say hey. And you like Nina Forever? I didn't see it. I had I to did go like see. It. Uh, yeah. What was I seeing? Risen. Oh, I was seeing Risen. Yeah. Uh, the new movie Risen, which is not bad. Yeah. Um, I like Nina Forever. It was. Uh, I expected it to be funnier. It, it's it's not really very funny. It's actually quite sort of sad. There are funny hmm. moments, but it's. Kind of devastating, really, but it's wonderful. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, and so we already know the date of the time of the next Fright Club Live, and that is going to be, we're going to celebrate St. Patty's Day, a little Irish horror with Grabbers. So much fun. So much fun. So and much I fun. assume they'll be drinking. Yeah. Um, not to lump in the stereotype that Irish people drink. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. Just because you've met my family doesn't necessarily mean anything. But no, it's a very drinky movie. Yeah. It's a very, very drinky movie. And that'll be March the 9th, Wednesday at the Gateway. So come out, uh, drinky, and, uh, and see the great movie <laughs> Grabbers. So all that's, uh, all that's coming up. But uh, yeah, we want to get into the, our top five 
uh, favorite black characters from the horror genre. Yes. For uh, the tail end of Black History Month. Want to get it in there while we can before we lose it. So uh, there's some good ones here. And also I was able to dig up, I'm excited about this, I was able to dig up some um, interview audio from a lot of these actors with some, some nice insight. So we'll get to that as well. Uh, and we'll start with film number five. Well, character number five, I should say. Mm-hmm. And that is Naomi Harris's Selena from the 2002 movie 28 Days Later. Where you been? I started. I live four doors down. Were you bitten? Oh. Did any of the blood get in your mouth? Mark? There are a lot of a lot of badass women that we could have gone with, you know, Pam Greer. Oh yeah, right, from Scream, Black Yellow Scream. Yeah, um, you know, and then and then also uh, Marky Bay from Sugar Hill, the 1974 zombie movie, not the um, 90s yeah. Wesley Snipes one. Uh, and then of course Grace Jones, Vamp. There are a lot of there are yeah. a lot of you know badass women we could have gone with, but 28 Days Later. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that we love that movie. We do. And also, uh, Naomi Harris is so great. She's so great. And one of the things I love about the movie is that, um, you know, race really pl- has nothing to do with with it. And no, there's no, you never get the sense that she's sort of a token character, which very often when you have a horror film and you've got like five or six people like all together and one of them is black, you know, that's, you know, that it's just a token. Yeah. But with her, she's really the leader of this of this team of people she's she's a pharmacist first of all so she's smart and she understands you know drugs in a way that can help them survive the zombie apocalypse um, and she is handy with a machete. She's absolutely, of the group of people, the most badass. Oh, she she's, is. Yeah. She's total badass. And, of course, this was directed by the great Danny Boyle. And really, the first one of the very first things that Naomi Harris did, so she says she's obviously uh, very, very appreciative of Danny Boyle. He's the reason, really, that I have the career that I've had, because he took a risk on me and gave me Selena in 28 Days Later. And really started my career for me. So um, I'm very grateful to Danny Boyle. Yeah, so that got her career kickstarted. And now she's, oh, well, yeah. she's in, she's new, she's Money the new Penny. Money Penny yeah. in the new uh, James Bond series and very good there. So, uh, uh, and going on to all sorts of things. But in addition to this being. She Danny- also played, she played Winnie Mandela yes, opposite that's um, right. Edris Alba. Yeah, yeah. She was great, actually. So sure, she, yeah. was, she was great. Yeah, so um, obviously a very good actress all the way around, but this was her big break, I yeah. guess. And not only directed by Danny Boyle, but written by Alex Garland, who now we oh, love yeah. from Ex Machina. Machina. If you haven't seen Ex Machina, holy Do moly. It. A friend of mine just saw it the other day and came in and asked me about it. I'm like, oh my lord. Yeah. Ex Machina is so good. So we look forward to Alex Garland, more from him, not just being a writer, but a director now as well, because uh, that Ex Machina obviously establishes him as not just a writing talent, but a, a directing talent. But anyway, back to uh, 20, 28 Days yeah. Later and Selena. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, the other thing, um, you know, uh, as I said, a lot of times, if there's just one, you know, black character in a film, it feels, in a horror film, it feels very token. And then also, a lot of times in the female character, you get the sort of if it's a strong female character, you get the idea, oh, this is going to be the final girl. But, you know, they upend all of those stereotypes with this. And, um, and you know, they're definitely, uh, gender plays a really big influence, uh, you know, as the film progresses. It becomes a very important factor. But um, she's not in any way just a typical, in any way, horror heroine. You know, she's 
as important to the survival of this group of people as as anybody. Oh is. yes. You yes. know, and uh, and really, because uh, Killian Murphy plays kind of the lead, um, but he's a novice, right? He slept through the first 28 days yeah. and he doesn't know what's going on. And of course, she's now a seasoned veteran of the zombie apocalypse. I know they're not really zombies. Bear with me. Um, and, <laughs> and just to make it easy, we'll just say zombies. Right. But uh, they're um, infected. Let's put the, it that the way. Infected. And, and, you know, and so if it weren't for her, she, he would never have made it, obviously. I right. mean, he did that priest would have gotten him oh and, and she's no nonsense you know in that in that yeah. clip that we played you know as soon as that guy says yep. i've hacked him yep. with no mercy None. because that's what she had yep. to do yep and apparently uh, even though it didn't come out in the film um danny boyle and naomi harris they developed a backstory uh, to explain more of selena's you know ruthlessly pragmatic outlook and selena in their backstory Selena was forced to kill her infected mother and father just to save her baby brother, only to discover that he was infected as well. Ooh. So that's you know that's their backstory, which you know a lot of directors and actors do, yeah. even though it doesn't make it into the final no, frames, no, no, just, just to give them yeah, motivation. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very if if that had come out that's in the film, very very um, you know telling about the the attitude that she had now that she will hack you, yeah. you know, and with no mercy because you've just been bitten, and that's what they have to do. Um, so yeah, she is very much the the one that they lean on. Yeah, to to uh, get them through yeah, it. She's yeah, she's absolutely the leader. She's absolutely the leader of the team, and 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 she just it's a great performance, and it's it's absolutely a hundred percent believable. You know, you buy it uh, without question. Sure, every so often I think to myself, so there are only what twenty people still alive in Britain. And they're that attractive? <laughs> they're as attractive as Naomi Harris uh, and Killian Murphy? But uh, that's okay. Yeah. Other than that, I don't have to stretch my imagination too much to believe it. And also to show you how important she was to the overall you know, narrative, uh, Stephen King, I guess, is a big fan of this movie. And he lifted, he used one of her lines in his novel, the sequel to The Shining, Dr. Sleep. He, uh, he used the line, he needs us more than we need him, which is Ooh. one of Selena's lines yeah. in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Very, very important. About the great Brendan Gleeson. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, so not only a great movie, but uh, a great performance and a great character to start off this uh, countdown. Selena from 28 Days Later checks in at number five. And uh, number four, we go back a little ways, uh, back to 1978. And Ken Foray, his uh, Peter character in the original Dawn of the Dead. When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. So obviously, you know, whether it's Peter from, from Dawn of the Dead or, or any of his a thousand other characters, clearly Ken Foray is going to hit this list. I mean, oh, there's, yeah. no, there's no question about it. He's been in everything. Of course, he's in all the Rob Zombie movies. Yeah. And he was in the remake of Dawn of the yeah, Dead. Yeah, and he's got that line. He's the one that says that line. Yeah. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the edge. That's his right. Big, his big face on the TV. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And actually, you know, and it's funny, uh, he was also in Stuart Gordon's From Beyond. And then he's got a couple. So he was in a movie called Zone of the Dead a few years ago, which was not very good, kind of set in prison. But he co-wrote now the sequel, which is supposed to be out this year. So Ken Foray, he's just everywhere. Te- Text Chainsaw Massacre 3 is one of my favorites and a great big fat role for him, too. I mean, he's <laughs> a, it's, it's, a, it's a big, important part of the film. Um, but you know, he really kicked it off with, with this film, uh, Dawn of the Dead. And, you know, um, 
I, I felt like in a lot of ways, uh, Romero, I mean, he, he took his original about almost 10 years later and he, you know, he tried to kind of up the ante. There's, first of all, it's in color. The original, of course, in black and white. Yeah. And it's very technicolor. It's, it's Dario Argento worked with him on the color. So it's very, very red blood and the, you know, the zombies all have that blue makeup on and it's super gory, lots of intestines, lots of Tom Savini effects and stuff like that. But, um, but some of the sort of foundational elements from the original are there. Got, you've got the, and, and among them anyway, is the strong black male lead that is the guy you should be listening to. That's, you know, that's really the part that he plays in this. He's the guy you ought to be listening to when right. you're deciding how you're going to survive the zombie apocalypse. But also in this one, you know, he has a buddy. He's a SWAT team member and, and they leave and they go, of course, live in a mall with, with a couple of news anchors, uh, news producers. And uh, he and the other SWAT team, they're so much more compelling than the actual romantic leads. They're so much more interesting. <laughs> they they're are. much better actors, first of all. They get better lines. They're yeah. funnier. And you feel much more worried that they will die. You well, know? they have a much better chemistry. And a lot, apparently, a lot of those lines were improvised. They just, so you can tell, they're just better. Yeah. They're better at they, it. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, Peter, uh, Ken's character, is the first person in the dead franchise to refer to them as zombies. Nice. He's the first one to say it. So, yeah, very important. And the funny thing was, uh, he got in, Ken Foray got in trouble right. for making this movie. Um, it was not something that was sanctioned. Uh, the role, uh, the production was not sanctioned by SAG. And uh, he was a SAG member. And, well, he'll tell you. When I read the script, I saw the violence. I said, this is crazy. This, I said, this was, and I was the only member of SAG because I, right. I, I, I worked on a film and a, and a guest on a TV show. So I, I wasn't supposed to do this film, you know, legally, according to my union. And I looked at the script and I said, this is not going to play Guam. They'll never let it in the country. It's too violent. And I said, I don't have to worry about this. I can do this film. They'll never see it. You know? <laughs> Lo and behold, yeah. I'm telling you, it played every drive-in, every midnight show, all over the world to say, and it really got a lot of distribution. And um, they they called me up, the union, Screen Actors Hill. Yeah, they called me up and they said, we're going to talk to you about this film, Mr. Forby. Yeah, so he didn't think anybody is all was going to see this Which movie. Which is so funny. He just thought I it mean, was too bloody, too, yeah. too violent. No, that's, no one's going to see this, so I'll just do it, and no one will ever know. That's That's just crazy. <laughs> and look what happened. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's also a character that a lot of his, um, even though he, they have those great moments of improvised lines, a lot of the action is just action. There's no lines at all. No. Uh, I was looking up for a lot of his scenes, and, and so many of them that are good, he doesn't even say anything. No, right. Yeah. So either he's shooting or getting out of the way of his buddy shooting or whatever, but it's it's such a, uh, a landmark movie and really a, a landmark character and, and something that he can always... You know, he's a guy that does show up at those conventions, uh -huh. you know, even oh, though, yeah. as you just said, he's still very busy. But he definitely uh, looks back on that bit of history and, and I think knows how important it was. You know, and, and it's one of the movies where it's a great movie. Everybody loves that movie and, and, and for good reason. But if you watch a movie and think to yourself, what one character could I not do without? For me, in that film, it's absolutely Ken Ferrey's character. Yeah. You, you can't. And actually, it's the, it's the buddies. The both of the SWAT team guys, but you think about uh, you know trying to just remove that element, and you just how much worse that movie would be without those two. I mean, they're so great. Oh yeah, there, there's and the funny thing was the uh, you know they filmed this uh, in the mall in a mall in the winter of '77 uh, into '78, and they had they had to shoot 
pretty much all night after the mall closed, and they had to finish at 6 o'clock. Now, the funny thing was the mall itself didn't open until 9 a.m., but they had to finish at 6 because that's when the Muzak came on, and they didn't know how to turn it off. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> they didn't want to just shoot it. But, uh, yeah, so they had to get out of the way of the music and had to knock off uh, shooting at 6 a.m. But, uh, yeah, landmark, uh, landmark movie. And I think you're right about that. You talk about you, when you have an ensemble uh, movie, an ensemble mm-hmm. cast, and you think, all right, who can I live without yeah, here? No. And believe me, we've seen some movies lately. Uh, we've talked, well, The Martian uh, is not a mo- movie that neither one of us liked, and it's... Uh, up for an Academy Award, I don't know how, but anyway, it has. It's a for me, it's an example to, of a movie that has so many needless characters. Right, right. Why are you here? Yeah, is it just to get a name and a famous face in this movie? It's it's totally needless. But that's a good point about this movie because you cannot do without his character. No, yeah, you absolutely can't. So I wanted to just say, in the sort of you know the uh, uh, cop kind of role, I I did want to just throw out there. He didn't make the list, but I do. I love. Well, everybody loves Morgan Freeman. I love Morgan Freeman in Seven. Um, oh yeah, you know, just just in terms of that sort of that sort of cop presence in a film that's essentially a horror film, and um, and I just didn't want to go without mentioning Morgan Freeman because you just he doesn't make very many horror films, and I wanted to be able to say so he good. made one, so awesome, good. yeah. Uh, he is he's he's in charge. He yeah. has the power. Oh yep. man. And if you haven't seen the ending of Seven um, recreated with those Booba dolls. Oh, my God. That came out a few years ago, and it's on YouTube. So great. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> so great. For oh, such a, he doesn't, he doesn't know. know. Oh, my God. For such a, a grim you know, movie to have a funny... Who thought of that? You know what we're going to do? We're going to take the audio <laughs> from Seven, and we're going to get these Booba dolls out there. Well, I mean, the, oh. what's crazy is how much that Booba doll actually looks like <laughs> Kevin Spacey. That's what's crazy. <laughs> But uh, it's so anyway, we're off topic. But but yeah, that's a great character with Morgan Freeman and a great, great movie. But uh, number four, Ken Foray's Peter character from Dawn of the Dead in 1978. Our countdown of our favorite black characters in the horror genre. Moving it up to number three. We've talked about this before, and it's just it's just a fun one all the way around. And it's from 1992. Tony Todd as Candyman. Do I know you? No. No, but you doubted me. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. Yeah, so that's Virginia Masden there, getting her first, uh, in the clip, getting her first introduction to Candyman. So Tony Todd is so smooth, you know? He's just, I know it's a horrific character, but he's, he's got that voice, you know, and he's such a commanding presence, which he brings so much to this part because it needed it. Well, you knew there was going to be at least one villain on this list, right? <laughs> Tony Todd, I love him so much. And you're right. He's the, great. Number one, the first thing about it is that voice. Yeah. You know, you're just, and then, and, 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 you know, it's um, you, the character, uh, the, the same way a lot of vampire characters do, there has to be a certain amount of almost romance to him for this role to work. Well, here, here's the thing. And that's very, that was very, very important to uh, Tony Todd because he says he always kept that in the back of his mind uh, for not only this movie, but the sequel. I wanted to really emphasize the fact that he was a painter and a, and a shoesmith, and, and that's why the love was unrequited. That was very important to me. And I got to even tell more of that in the second one. You know, I, I insisted that we do scenes of him in his former life. Now, there are a lot of fans that don't get that, 
but the ones that are intelligent do. It's a gothic love story at its core. So there you go. To your point, he he considered it a gothic love story. Right. And 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 he so he has to be to a degree seductive. Obviously, he's got to be terrifying and then sort of revolting as well, but at the same time and man, that voice would do it, you know. <laughs> but you know, I mean, Tony Todd is so great. He makes Ken Foray look like a slacker. I mean, Tony Todd <laughs> makes so many movies and almost all of them are horror movies. And of course yeah. he does. He voices a lot of video games as well yeah. and clearly and um but one of my favorites of his he did he played ben the lead in tom savini's 1990 remake of of night of the living dead Mm -hmm. um and you can sort of see it it was he was a little younger then and he was he was thin and he is like you said he's just always a commanding presence and no matter what he does with that voice you're just you know compelled and terrified simultaneously and it's such a great it's such a great character and uh his interplay with virginia Masden, who is you know a great actress as well but the funny thing was she was this was back in 1992. She was not Oscar-nominated as she is now. No. But uh, had she been unavailable, she, she was the first uh, choice, and she got it. They were going to go with a little unknown actress named Sandra Bullock. Wow. <laughs> wow. For that part, yeah. Yeah, came in second. But uh, and, and you talk about Candyman, the first image, I guess, is the bees. Yeah. Uh, that, it's such an iconic uh, scene, and as you can imagine, might have been a trick to film. Not only was Virginia Masden... Uh, allergic to bees. So just because she was in the area, they had to have an ambulance always on set wow. when they're filming the bee sequence. But um, they, the, the bees, I guess, were bred specifically for the movie. They might, had to make sure they were only 12 hours old, so they looked like mature bees, but the stinger wouldn't be powerful enough to do any real damage. Although, apparently, Tony Todd got stung many times. Wow. Uh, and he had this sort of prosthetic uh, in his mouth uh, it was a mouth guard that kept him from having the bees go down his throat, oh my which God. would be awful. Um, but it's it's so freaky because when you think, I guess bees, you don't think of it as a you know a, a true horror staple. Not a lot of uh, not like movies. spiders or something, right, you know? right? But but or rats or right, something yeah. like that. But man, yeah. Such a memorable, oh my God, yeah, memorable scene with the it's bees. It's so yeah. great. It's so great. He's such a great character. He's such a great villain. And it was the most perfect casting just ever. I mean, it really was. Tony Todd was so perfect in that. And then he's gone on to, you know, and a lot of times he'll, he'll just, he just phones him in. He just churns them out. They're not always great. But sometimes, you know, and, and, and often enough. You know, he was in a couple of the of the um, uh, Final Destination movies, and then finally, he's just the voice of death. Yep, <laughs> yep. You know, yeah. he's yeah, he's a, he's just a welcome presence, no matter what the film. To me, I love him. Yeah, and I think that's so. It's just it gives. I'm glad we we got into the, not only your point, but his his point backing it up about this being a gothic love story. Because I always love that when you have you find out a, a different way to look at a movie. Yeah, and especially by the people that are making it. Or that are acting it because even though they they don't come out and tell you that in the dialogue, right? But it adds so much to the feel of the movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, to look at it that way is not just a quote unquote horror movie, but uh, but a great one and a great character. Tony Todd's Candyman from 1992 checks in at number three on our list. And you want to talk about guys with great voices? <laughs> if you want to think of someone who could beat Tony Todd and Morgan Freeman. Here's the guy from 1972, the iconic William Marshall as Blackula. You shall be Blackula. Blackula, the Black Avenger, rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror. Blackula. Dracula's soul brother, 
deadlier even than he. Warm young bodies will feed his hunger. Hot, fresh blood will quench his awful thirst. What do you think of vampires? More horrifying than Dracula. Black Dracula. Rated PG. Man, what a voice that guy has. I love him so much. I I love him so much. Just hearing him talk so classic, so, you know, so refined, so just... Like like royalty, which which feeds into this movie exactly because uh, the character of Blackula uh, was a prince, an African prince. But interestingly enough, not always, uh, as William Marshall tells it, he had a lot of a uh, lot of influence in changing the entire backstory of the Blackula character. The character's name was um, Andrew Brown when they handed me the script. And Andrew Brown, as you may know, is a character in uh, Amos and Andy of ages ago. There was something of a resentment on the part of many producers who uh, sensed this outcry mm-hmm. and didn't want our voices to ring resonantly about and create a, a new kind of genre. So they said, you need to have a property that will be of interest to your target organ. So he, he's got to be meaningful. He's got to, when he becomes a, a vampire, he is no longer useful to his people. So he sets out from Africa, as I see it, trying to do something about putting an end to the slave trade. It's a vile, vulgar thing. That's his mission. And, of course, he was 1,000% correct. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so great that um, he is this Prince Mamwalde. I mean, it, you know, everything about William Marshall, he has such a regal presence. He does. And, and it, so it was just effortless for him to be. And, you know, he's, he's the, the, you know the, the idea of a vampire, the Prince of Darkness kind of a thing. They sh- the vampires tend to have a regal way about them. I mean, uh, and, and that so seductive in- quality oh, you mentioned, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but also, and then the fact that you know his wife dies when um you know when he's turned into a vampire back in the whatever seventeen hundreds. So then he seventeen eighty. Fall- there you go. So then he falls in love with a woman in modern times who looks just like. So anyway, it's basically the same general storyline as Dracula. So they've they've created a parallel structure and and uh, you know equal footing. And then also, I love, and I, I, I don't know if I can spoil a movie from the 70s. Um, okay, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Blackula, uh, first of all, why? Uh, but, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> go ahead. He, in the end, Blackula chooses his own death. Right. He's not killed by humans, right? He, he does it himself. It's just another, it's just, a, I mean, he's, it's such a powerful character. It's such a powerful performance. There are a lot of things about the film that are silly. It's a black exploitation film. The name Blackula is silly. Um, and, and it's, it, especially as it opens in modern times, very homophobic scene there but but on the whole for the early 70s it's it's not a particularly sexist film and um the race relations are provocative if nothing else i mean it's really but you know you cannot there's no denying that william marshall owns the screen owns the screen and even then when he turns into a silly bat with with uh strings yeah you know you still are like all right, you know what? I'm going to stick it out because in a minute I'm going to get William Marshall again and it's right. all going to be worth it. Yeah, and speaking of the early 70s, in the in the club, there's a group on stage and that is the Hughes Corporation who went on to this one. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. A lot of people point to that as the first disco song. Well, then maybe Blackula should have just gotten rid of them when he had the <laughs> From chance. From 1974, 
rock the boat. But uh, no, you're so right. I mean, he's such a, a regal presence, and uh, we can't mention William Marshall without mentioning he went on to do The King of Cartoons um, on Pee Wee's Playhouse, which was great. And of course, you know, uh, and, and the sequel, Scream Black. Oh, well, Scream, yeah. Which yeah, is I meant a, much later. Which is yeah. an inferior film, but uh, Pam Greer is in it. So right there, it's like, you know, Pam Greer and William Marshall, yes, please. I'm just talking about of people of a certain age. Oh, my God. King when he shows up as the King of Cartoons on Pee you're just like, oh man! Oh, how I, great was that? I fell about the place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first time I saw him on there, I was like, oh my god, it's William Marshall! Yeah. So, so, so oh, great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, back to this uh, movie and this character, though. It it can't. You really listen to that interview, and you just know what a incredible contribution. Not just the, the performance, but the direction of that character. How how much different would it? Well, of course, William Marshall probably wouldn't have done the movie, no, and, right. and good for him. Uh, but. So much uh, worse of a movie had they gone that route. Yeah, I, can, I just want to point out that the director of the original is from Columbus, Ohio. Is that right? Yeah. And that is our... William Crane. He's from here in Columbus, Ohio. All right, yeah, that's our home base. That's if right. you didn't know, C-Bus. Um, go Bucks. But uh, <laughs> oh, wait. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, such a and I, you know, character. and I want to say, I mean, uh, you know, William Marshall actually had a, an incredibly long career, and he, and he did all all manner of things, stage and screen and television and everything, and King of Cartoons, and he did the sequel to this. But I need to say, he also did a movie that ended up ended up being called Abby. But it was originally, it's a Girdler film, and it was originally called The Blacksercist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Another awful title. Oh, my God, yeah. But um, um, it's a bad film, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but he plays Bishop Garnett Williams. So he plays The Exorcist, who's also, you know, it's, I mean, it's obviously just a huge ripoff, but, um, and it's a bad film. But he's great. He's just great. He can't not be great. Yeah. Well, he's like, much like Tony Todd, not only the voices, but they just have that presence. And I think William Marshall, even more so, oh he my just God, yes. seems like royalty. Yeah, he does. Like he really he, does. You are a prince somewhere, yes. or a king, yeah. or a congressman, or yeah. a senator. <laughs> right. You know, you, you just have that presence and, and the voice. Just Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, landmark film and a landmark character. Uh, for even, you know, if the title could have been better. 1972, Blackula. And that leads us up to number one, a very, very pivotal a role for, boy, many reasons, not only in the horror genre, but sociologically, uh, from 1968, and it's Dwayne Jones, Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living Dead. A bizarre adventure in fear. An experience in shock, more shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, Dwayne Jones, uh, the role of Ben uh, in the original Night of the Living Dead. And you have to think about 1968, first of all, for uh, a black actor to have that role and, and a heroic lead role. Yeah. If you should think about the character himself, you know, he's trapped in this house. There's a bunch of people in the basement. Uh, some of them are dicks. Um, you know, uh, he's got he's got this just shell shocked woman who doesn't know what's going on. And he just takes control. He knows what he's doing. And the thing is that everybody else is white and the smart ones recognize this doesn't matter because he does. I'm following this guy. This is the guy that's going to save us. Whereas the, you know, the, the older man in the basement, he doesn't want any part of it and he's just going to undermine everything. I mean, the, it creates such a phenomenal tension inside that house, which is, I think what drives the film even more than the zombies outside. A lot of the filmmakers, uh, Romero himself saying, you know what? It just came down to the fact 
that Dwayne Jones was simply the best actor right. for the part. Yeah. Now, that they weren't trying to make any kind of uh, commentary on racism, even though, as you said, you've got an African-American man in a house with a white woman and a posse of whites outside. Yeah. I mean, that's a statement. Yeah, especially in 1968, in 1968. yes, it was. But uh, he's just the best actor for the role, and, uh, and that's why he got it. And over the years... You know, before he passed, uh, Dwayne Jones kind of, I don't want to say reclusive, but he wasn't seen much. No. He didn't speak much about it. But in one of his last interviews, he did say that's not, don't take that as the fact that he, he didn't uh, appreciate the importance of the movie and his role. There are people out there who have been wonderfully supportive and love the movie and love me in it. And I really do truly appreciate that. I've never taken that for granted. So I wouldn't want anyone to think that I am so arrogant as not to be grateful Mm. for the acclaim they have given me and the film. And it should never be misconstrued that my enigmatic, mysterious persona that I have some, in some instances deliberately created just to have the space in which mm. to have a private life is a lack of gratitude. It's not. But it is my absolute insistence that I'd be seen as a total human being and not as Ben. And as you can tell, even just from that short clip, he's a very thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently the character originally was written to be a much angrier person, but he, he was very concerned that, that the character was too angry and he wanted to remove some of that. Romero later, he, he didn't really agree at the time. And Romero uh, later lamented that he had not taken all of Jones's concerns more into consideration and thought, in hindsight again, that he was probably correct um, and, that he should, and that he should have done that. Because, uh, you know, Dwayne uh, Jones, obviously very intelligent person and a thoughtful yeah, person. He's a guy who was a college professor. Yeah, so you can tell that he had, he had concerns and realized at the time what he was doing and was worried about how it might look. Right. Well, you know, Romero can be a bit of a blunt instrument. And um, I don't I don't buy that he didn't have sort of sociological ideals in mind when he when he made this film. Because, yeah. because if you watch anything else he's ever done, I mean, he wears his uh, his, you know, pol- politics on his sleeve. Because but, you know, either way, I don't care either way. I well, mean, true. the film is so much better, so much better because of the statement, whether the statement was intentional or unintentional. And also because Dwayne Jones is just remarkable. And he also he went on. He was in he was Dr. Hess in in, in Bill Gunn's ganja and has right. which is um very intentionally a uh, sociological statement i don't know it's necessarily a racial i mean it's it, not in the same way because it's not actually really made for a white audience which in itself is a racial statement that you know um it to me it's remembered more fondly than than i re- i don't i don't I, didn't love it. I thought it was a little heavy-handed and a little pretentious it really um, is re- you, you, you it seems seems to have a cult a cult following, and it seemed to be remembered more fondly than than we remember it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, Dwayne Jones is great in it, and then uh, Marlene Clark, who plays Ganja, she is awesome in it. She is awesome in it. It's actually Bill Gunn, who 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 only has a small role, but he's in it for such a long time in the beginning that I just he grows very tiresome to me. And it, I don't know, a lot of it seems self indulgent, although it's very well written and um, the, a lot of the performances are great. But again, the point that I'm trying to make is that. Um, much like Ben, I mean, it was a role that we hadn't seen ever, ever. It right. was definitely not Blackula. This is not what it was. It was a, you know, he, it, it was a, it's a very different film for, uh, it's a vampire movie if you're not familiar with it. And um, it's a very, very different take on it. And, and for that reason alone, especially uh, in the time that it came out, it was just kind of fascinating. And, and he pulls it off brilliantly. Yeah, well, go- going back to 
to this movie. It's it's one of those cases where you can tell before it even the the, the character of Ben was not written with a black actor in mind. It was it was just written as a character. Right. So that makes it even more, you know, to, for him to be cast, you you can see why, okay, he was just the best actor. Right, right. Very so, much just like Selena, just like uh, yeah. 20 Days Later. Well, of course, this was 68, not right. you know, 2002 yeah. or whatever. But uh, so, so at the time, um, you know, kudos, uh, as you said, for whatever the reason was, kudos mm-hmm. for the fact that they, they didn't feel any, you know, social pressure, oh, we can't cast him. You know yeah. that sort of thing. So in, in that way, uh, kudos to uh, Romero and, and the casting agents for uh, for getting him on there. Because as again you said, intended or not, it made a statement. Especially in the just devastating montage ending, just yeah. devastating. Yeah. You know, and the way that it shot uh, the the montage ending in particular is very uh, news footage e, which right. was just especially at the time. Well, and today also, it, you know, it it looks like news footage. You know what I mean? It looks like something other than what you're actually seeing. I mean, it has so much more of an impact because this victim, this healthy person that they have mistaken and killed uh, is a black man. I mean, it, it, it just, it is like a, just a punch to the gut. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. And just one of the many reasons that is a, uh, a landmark film, uh, a landmark character uh, all the way around night of the living dead, the Ben character, Dwayne Jones, the late Dwayne Jones uh, from 1968. That is number one on our Black History Month list. But uh, are we forgetting something? I hope not, but we do that from time to time. So if if we have done it, uh, please let us know. Twitter is always a great way. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. You know who we forgot? I mean, we didn't forget. He wouldn't have made the list, but probably we should have mentioned him as Wesley Snipes Blade. Right. We should have. When we talked about Blackula, but we just got so... We love William Marshall. We do. I just, it's hard for me to shake my brain free of just talking about him, but, yeah, but it's true. Know, we probably should have Blade, mentioned Blade. It's, it's worth mentioning. I agree with you. Probably not on this list. Um, no, not He's no. a badass character. Yeah. And uh, I kind of enjoy the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I think I yeah. like the second one better, actually, yeah. the one that Del Toro directed. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, but not going to make the list, though. But yeah, you're right. Somebody would have uh, shouted out Blade at us. So we heard you. We heard you before you even did it. So we uh, throw him out there. But if, if there's anything else. Let us know, Mad Wolf, on Twitter. Uh, of course, the MadWolf.com uh, page, overall page, and we're Mad Wolf Columbus uh, on Facebook. In the meantime, next week we are going to do witches, best okay. witch movies next week. Yeah, but, uh, you know, good good suggestions. Thank you for uh, saying that, yeah, we should put that off for one week and do this, because I enjoyed this, getting into doing some research on some of these films and finding these, uh, these interviews. Good stuff. So uh, thank you. Let us know. Keep the uh, comments coming. And uh, as always, check out our Bud's. Over at uh, ScreenRelish.com, we've got some movie reviews on there. Uh, not always horror movies, but you do do the Saturday Screamer quite often. Yeah. Uh, so always good to check that out. And uh, our fine folks at Golden Spiral Media that uh, host this podcast. Yeah, so check out the other podcasters there because you're going to find something you love. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Especially Corey's, our friend Corey and his Triplecast. Triplecast is the other movie one. If you like TV shows, though, they have podcasts on like every major TV show. I know well, and especially they one. have the new X-Files, yeah. Daryl, Daryl, yeah. the, the head honcho, who just had a birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Daryl. Um, is part of the uh, We Still Believe um, uh, podcast for X-Files, which, you know what, I watched the first couple episodes and then I, I lost it. I, I did like them, and then it's just so hard for us to watch TV. Yeah, because we watch a movie, at least the one movie But I did day. like it, so it's probably uh, a good uh, show and a, I'm sure a good podcast because uh, they always uh, do a good job over there. All right, we're giving all the love, and um, we hope you can join us uh, next week. As I said, we're going to talk about uh, witches. And then on from there. So until next week. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Say